Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. Well, that is a great example. Uh, how many parents have you had to do a TikTok video with your kids? Raise your hand. Like seven of us. Great. All right. Well, welcome uh, to week three of Family Matters. Pastor Brian and Tammy did a great job the last couple weeks talking about marriage. I get the opportunity to talk about parenting um, today. And I get specifically now today, parenting without power for some of you guys, right? They're like in the car, charging the devices all the time, right? So, well, you can go to Lexi.info, click on message notes to follow along with the message today. And so we talk about parenting. My wife, Ashley, and I have been married for 22 years. We have three kids. There's a picture of us here. I was 17-year-old, 15-year-old, and 10-year-old, Caleb, Austin, and Kinsley. And so uh, we love, love our kids, love being parents. And I had never really understood the phrase before, the days are long, but the years are short. And then we blinked, and our son is 17 and going to college in less than a year and a half. And I don't know how the time went as fast as it did. It's, it's crazy. And so disclaimer, as a parent and a pastor, it's always a challenge to preach on parenting, to do it in one week, all right? Obviously, I'm not an expert on parenting, but my wife and I have tried to be really intentional over the past 17 plus years with our kids. So we don't get it right a lot of the time. And my wife is a much better parent than I am, I can admit that. But today, so it won't be some comprehensive message on parenting. You're not going to get 20 things and now you're a great parent, all right? But I'm excited to dive in because I think it's the, the biggest honor, the biggest responsibility to be a parent when God places kids in your home and says, these are yours for the rest of their life, for at least for the next 18 years in your home. It's a really, really, really big deal. So next week, I'm really excited that we're going to have a guest speaker coming in. And he's going to be talking about the stages or seasons of parenting. And it's funny, I had been talking about, it's like the four C's. I've been talking about this for probably 15 years. I didn't know where I got it from. My kids pastor told me one time. We had a conference call with the guy last week, and he started talking about this. I said, wait, did you come up with that? He's like, yeah. I was like, oh, my gosh. I have been teaching your content for 15 years. Didn't even know who you were, but he'll be here next week. It's going to be great. Don't miss that next week. So here's something to help us launch into today's topic. I want you to think about this phrase, this sentence. Your parents' behavior, not their advice, determine whether or not you want to be like them or with them. So when you're old enough to choose for yourself... It was your parents' behavior, not their advice, not even their parenting skills that determined whether or not you want to be like them or even be with them. It was how they behaved towards you, how they behaved towards each other. It was what they did. It wasn't what they required. Again, it was, it was their behavior, not their parenting skills, that determined the trajectory of your relationship with your parents. So this should kind of give us a moment to pause, right? Chances are your behavior, not your advice, will determine whether or not your children will want to be like you or even be with you when they're old enough to decide for themselves. It's a little scary, isn't it? Like, my kids haven't left the house yet, so the jury's still out on whether they're going to like us and want to be with us down the road, but we're hopeful that they will. In a similar way, your parents' behavior determined how much respect you had or have for them. This is important. Respect creates influence. If there's no respect, there's no influence. And odds are the same will be true with you and your children. If you want influence with your children later, and trust me, you will at some point, you must maintain the respect now. And the way you maintain the respect is how you behave now. So as we dive in today, if you're a parent, if you're about to be a parent, TJ and Tia out there somewhere, you hope to be a parent, maybe you're helping another parent parent, or you're watching your own kid's parent, this is for you. It's actually for anybody who feels the weight 
and the responsibility of equipping an infant, a child, a teenager, a student for life. And those of us who were engaged really at any level in helping another human being kind of grow up, recognize pretty quickly these two things. Number one is this. Just because I have a parent doesn't mean I know anything about being one. Just because I was a kid doesn't mean I know anything about raising one. So when we talk about parenting, there's always this tension between what's real and what's ideal. And Jesus navigated this tension. He never dumbed down the truth to make people feel better. He pointed to an ideal. He inspired towards an ideal. But at the same time, he never turned down the grace. So when people fall short of the ideal, they actually still like Jesus anyways. They flock to Jesus. They liked him even though they weren't really like him. And he liked them back. In fact, the only, the only group that Jesus didn't seem to like were those who held up the ideal, but did nothing to help those who were falling short of the ideal. In fact, on one occasion, a group of religious people came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, you kind of hurt our feelings. He's like, yeah, don't really care about that. And here's how I responded to that. In Luke 11, woe to you because you load people down with burdens that can, they can hardly carry and yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. In other words, he's saying religious leaders, you weigh people down with the ideal, do nothing to help them navigate what's real, the realities of their life. Jesus was different. He pointed toward and inspired towards an ideal while helping people navigate what was right in front of them, the real life stuff. In fact, his hands were firmly planted in what was real, but we continually pointed to the ideal because of this. Jesus was all grace and all truth all of the time. We love that phrase, don't we? Like, I just speak the truth. Just speak the truth. He's saying you need to speak the truth in love. He was 100% truth, 100% grace at the same time. A lot of us are great at one or the two, right? We're great at telling, like, I'm just telling you the truth. It's not my fault. But we don't do it in love. Sometimes we're so loving and we don't want to impact people so we don't give them the whole truth. He did both at the same time. Now, if we're talking about parenting, through much of the Bible, you know that when it comes to good examples of family, like, tell me some, I'll wait. Like the Bible is not full of great parenting stuff. It's not great even full of great family. It's kind of the go-to source for dysfunctional families. It's all throughout scripture. It's full of family dysfunction. In fact, apparently Jesus didn't even get along with his own siblings that well. They kind of thought he was crazy. He thought he was crazy until after the resurrection. Then they all had a collective like, oh, a lot of things are making sense now. Like our brother was literally the savior of the world. Like this is a little bit different now, right? But in terms of learning anything about parenting, even from the story of Jesus, it's not exactly that helpful. But Jesus and the authors of the New Testament pointed the way forward for all of us and kind of pointed the way forward for us parents as well. While Jesus would never talked about parenting directly, he laid the foundation for New Testament parenting when he laid the foundation for New Testament behavior. Did I mention that behavior will determine whether or not your children will want to be like you or even with you? So Jesus laid the foundation for his followers Behavior when he issued this new covenant command. He called it the new command. A new command I give to you, he said, not to be added to existing commands. This new command was designed to replace the existing commands. The apostle Paul referred to this all-encompassing new command as the law of Christ. The law of Christ, which says this, to love others as Jesus loved us. A pastor that I follow and look up to for a long time says this. He says, following Jesus will make your life better 
and it will make you better at life. And kind of the point of this series, right? Following Jesus will make you a better parent because at the core of being a Jesus follower is kind of this others first mentality, this selflessness mentality. Let's face it, nothing surfaces our self-centeredness and our selfishness quicker and fiercer than raising another human being. We have to look in the mirror of our kids and we look at our strengths and more importantly, we look at our weaknesses. And it's not that fun sometimes, right? A human being that comes into the world with one agenda, the same agenda that we came when we came into the world, right? And it's these two things that we think as kids and even as adults, right? What's in it for me? And I want my way. I want my way, and if I can't get my way, I'm going to get in your way, and I'm going to make your life miserable. So think about it. From day one, the stage is set for this clash of wills of effort proportion, a clash of wills of potential to bring out the worst in us, the fear in us, the insecurity in us. If you're a parent, think about when you had your first kid. We have three kids, but the first kid. You go in there, there's a labor delivery, which is just, ask your parents, all right? It's weird, it's messy, it's a lot, all right? And then, after like a night or two, where you're learning literally nothing and you have this child, right, in the hospital, they put you in a car, they make sure the, the seatbelt's good on the kid, and they're like, all right, good luck. <laughs> and you're like, wait, I thought one of you was coming with us, right, to help us for the first couple of days. And they're like, no, you got this, see you later. And you drive home and you're looking at your wife and your, or your spouse and you're going, like, are we equipped to do this? They just gave us this little baby that's just, it's brand new. What are we supposed to do? And you go home and there's all the insecurity and all the fear. I was talking, I didn't, I didn't ask him for permission, but I don't really care because he works for me. So I asked TJ, are you guys ready to be parents? And he said, I mean, we just assume that when we have the kid, the parenting instincts will just kick in. And I was like, that's good. That will happen. Not really sure when, but it'll happen for you, TJ. And so you have this fear, you have the insecurity. The potential to bring out the worst in us can even have anger. Let's be honest, sometimes our kids bring out the ugly in us as well. The fact that probably the most shame I've ever felt in my adult life is around self-centeredness. Where did it come from? It came from a response to my own kids. Here's the thing, is the eventual conflict of wills associated with parenting and the core ethic and the value system of Jesus, it actually becomes more relevant than ever because insecurity and anger and fear, what are those things? They're all manifestations of self-preservation and reputation preservation on our part, which, both of which fuel the very behaviors that drive a wedge between us and our kids, right? The behaviors that cause us to lose influence once they're old enough to actually want to hang out with us because we've lost control as we get to a certain age, right? In fact, one of the reasons it's so much easier to know how other people should raise their kids, right? Aren't we really good at that? When we're in Walmart and some kids freaking out, you're like, oh, my kids would never do that. <laughs> because, that's, because their kids' behavior doesn't reflect poorly on us, right? Our kids' behavior points directly back to us. Our response shows a great deal about who and what we are most concerned about. And when we get it right, we're able to keep our ego and our check, our pride in check, when we're able to respond with actual concern for our kids, rather than respond on how their behavior reflects on us. 
has the potential to create not only teachable moments, but defining moments. I have a lot of stories from when I was a kid of things that I did that were, that were terrible and the way my parents parented me through all of that stuff. And, but I remember one in particular, I had a Jeep in high school and I used to like to go off-roading. In fact, when I turned 16, we were going on vacation that day and my parents were nice enough to let me go get my license first. And then I immediately went from the driver's license place, I went mudding right after that, like the day I turned 16. And then came home, we went on vacation. But six months later, I, w- I went off-roading somewhere and I was driving home and my car was making really weird noises and it wasn't, I was like, this is weird. But I didn't know enough about cars to know the difference. So I, I pull into the driveway, it's like kind of sputtering. I'm like, well, it'll probably be fine. And my dad tells the story better than I do because he was coming home from work later and he pulls into our neighborhood and he starts following, every street he turns on, he starts following this green fluid. And he's turning on roads and he's like, wow, this is all the way to our street. He's like, wow, this is weird. And he gets all the way to our street and then he goes into his driveway and into his garage. He's like, oh, this is my son's car. And so I completely just ruined the underneath of my car, transition fluid, the whole thing. And my dad could have responded in a lot of different ways. He could have yelled at me. He could have embarrassed me. The neighbors all saw it. He could have shamed me. He could have cared about his reputation more than anything else. Instead, he asked me really good questions, gave me the opportunity to tell the truth, which I did, thankfully, that time. And then he said, that's great. We'll take you to the shop tomorrow, and, and all the cost is on you. And it was. It was $900. It's a lot of money in 1994, Okay. But I learned a lot about my dad that day. I didn't realize at the time, but this was a moment in terms of my understanding as a kid of where I started a relationship to my father's desire to protect his reputation. Well, the neighbors saw it and everybody was talking about it. He didn't go out and just embarrass me and shame me. He was kind of like, this is my kid, I'll parent my kid, you parent your kids, okay? I learned a lot about my dad that day. Because the reality is we're all concerned about our reputation, right? And we should be on some level. But there's this warring of the tension of like how much we care about that and how much we are concerned about our kids. And when they, coll- when they collide, how do we respond as parents? What does it look like for us? Because we know one misguided response, one misguided remark has the power to undo a lot of affirmation. And he chose in that moment other moments to put me first. And honestly, I still feel that was some really good parenting. Because here's the truth. A defining moment is better than a teachable moment. Man, us parents, we love our teachable moments, don't we? We're like, oh, it's a teachable moment. Come here. I'm telling you, a defining moment is better than a teachable moment. But they're so easy to miss when our ego is not in check, when our reputation's on the line. What do we do? How do we respond? How do we behave when our ego is on the line? It leaves a mark for good or for bad. Now, before I go back to Jesus, I had to say one more little small lesson of this particular story. Because beyond that time with my dad, one thing my mom and my dad never did, they never put me in the center. My parents never put, allowed me or my sister to control the family dynamic by placing it at the, at the center. It's really important because a lot of parents miss this, right? Especially first-time parents. And honestly, there have been plenty of seasons where my wife asked me that we missed this as well. We put our kids at the center of the, of, the, of the entire family. One of the best pieces of advice I heard as a parent when I was really, when I was young, a young parent, it was this. You were already a family before you had children. They are simply a welcome addition to something that already exists. This is so important. Let's face it. The gravitational pull is for our child or for our children to become the center of the family. And it's a mistake. They're welcome additions, but don't make them the main act. 
If you ask my kids right now who my favorite person in the family is, they will all tell you it's Ashley. It doesn't mean I don't love my kids, but I'll tell them, I knew her before you, all right? And when you guys leave, her and I will still be together and you'll be long gone someday, God willing, hopefully, right? Until someday you have to take care of us, which we already know is going to be Kinsley. We already know that. The boys know it too. They're not, they know. Back to where we started. As it turns out, the secret of parenting is actually embedded in Jesus' new covenant command. A command fueled by a value system of check your ego at the door, just like Jesus did. In fact, on that note, it's interesting, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus, who is in the very nature of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped or leveraged for his own benefit. So if he didn't, we shouldn't either. Clearly, Jesus kept his ego in check, and he had every excuse not to. I mean, he was literally God. His is the value system of others first, sacrificial love, tough love, that says this, I will not do anything for you if it's not good for you because I love you. But the challenge I pointed out is that when Jesus issued his new covenant command, he wasn't talking specifically to parents, but fortunately the Apostle Paul comes along a few years later and he kind of gives us some handles, some application here. Basically his message was this. Here's what the Jesus brand of love looks like in the real world, in real relationships. Here's how love behaves. Here's how love behaves under pressure. Here's how love behaves at home. Here's how love behaves when you're raising your children. He supplies his readers with handles in all of his letters. In fact, all of his like one another statements that you'll find scattered throughout his letters, things like forgive one another, encourage one another, care one another's burdens, submit to one another. These are simply applications of Jesus' new covenant command. But his most famous explanation of what Jesus' brand of love looks like and how it behaves, I also think, is great instruction for parents. His most detailed description of what Jesus' brand of love looks like and, uh, and acts like is found in his first letter uh, to Christians living in Corinth, which is located in Greece. And so for the remainder of our time today, we're going to just look at three words from 1 Corinthians. Three words that summarize one facet of how love behaves and how love should behave in the home. So here it is. Paul writes this. He said, love is. Again, not any kind of love. This is the Jesus brand of love. The brand of love demonstrated by Jesus and the brand of love that Jesus' followers are commanded to follow because even his parents, as step-parents, whatever you are, after all, you love your son, right? You love your daughter, right? Paul says this, love is patient. And every parent went, ugh. Have to start there with patience? How did he know? Because he's saying, I have to stop. I have to slow down. I have to move at someone else's pace. That's what love requires of me as a parent. Because love isn't pushy, it's patient. And honestly, whenever I read this verse, think about this verse, I think about a couple of, of pictures. This first picture here is Ashley's dad and our daughter Kinsley when she was probably two years old. The next picture here is once again Ashley's dad right here. And there's Austin and Kinsley, and I'm sure uh, somebody got an officiating line hooked and he's repairing it and fixing it for them. When I look at those pictures, what I think about is two things. Number one, grandparents are more patient than parents. A, they have a lot more seasoning that they've had in life, and B, they get to give the kids back and go home to their own houses, okay? 
Every grandparent said, amen. <laughs> and then I think about this. What happens when we, when we refuse to move at another person's pace? And this was Paul's point. Love chooses to move at the other person's pace rather than requiring that person to move at ours. And the reason that's so hard is because patience isn't natural. Your natural pace is natural. But here's Paul's point. Since God moved at our pace, we should do the same for others. We do the same for our children. Because if not, what happens? Like literally what happens? If we insist on moving at our own pace, what happens? We separate ourselves. We separate ourselves from our children. Physically when we're walking, emotionally and relationally, but when we push them beyond their capacity, we separate and we frustrate. It's interesting that the only specific uh, thing Paul says to parents about parenting pertains to this very dynamic. And he writes it and he's actually just talking to fathers and he says this in Colossians. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Don't exasperate your children. Don't provoke them. Don't stir them up. Don't insist on winning. Don't insist on outsmarting or out-talking them. Don't push too hard. Don't move too fast. He says, if you do that, here is the end result. You will be separated. Fathers, don't exasperate your children or they will become discouraged. They will be discouraged. They will be disheartened. They'll eventually just lose motivation. They'll just stop because they can't keep up. And again, the result is separation. How did Paul know and how interesting Maybe not surprising, he didn't address this to moms and dads, he just says dads. Because the reality is a lot of us dads were not very patient. I know some of you are thinking, because I thought the same thing when I read this, that's great, I'm glad that's in the Bible, Zach, but we're supposed to push our kids. If we don't expect more, they're not going to expect more of themselves. If we don't ensure they reach their maximum potential, they may not turn out. And then we don't like to finish that sentence, but it's true. We say this, they may not turn out the way you want them to turn out. That's convicting, right? Let's pause and think about that for a moment. Is that really what we want? Wouldn't it be better to discover what they were born to do, who they're born to be, and then facilitate that as a parent? That's what great parents do. I've never met a father, I'm sure there's one out there, I've never met a father, though, who's wished he'd been harder on his children, that looked back later in life and said, man, I wish I would've been harder on my kids. But I've met plenty of fathers who have little to no relationship with their kids now as adult children because they were hard on them when they were kids and they were insistent that their kids become something that maybe they failed to become themselves. So inspire your kids, yes, motivate them, yes. But push them to the point of exhaustion and frustration, compare them and shame them, no, because parents, that's about you, that's not about the kids. You know what the number one predictor of both relational and professional success is? Self-awareness. Self-awareness, which is the cousin of emotional intelligence, which results in personal security as opposed to insecurity. Do you know what the number one contributing factor factor is to someone's personal security? Their self-awareness, right? It's their home life. I heard a story from another pastor one time. And he was learning from a parent in his church. And I love this because I want to apply this to my parenting. But he was talking about how there was a dad and a son. And the son was about to graduate from high school. And the son didn't know what he wanted to do with his life. He didn't know what he wanted to major in yet. He knew he wanted to go to college. And the dad went to his son. And he said, look, whatever you want to do with your life, I'll support you. 
And I'll use my influence to help you any way that I can. But until you know what you want to do, will you trust me to point you in a direction so you can go into college with some sort of direction? He said, look, the moment you figure out what you want to do, all bets are off. I'll just support you in whatever you want to do. But will, you, will you at least take my advice and let me direct you and point you in a direction right now? And his son said, sure. What does that tell you? That means I had a good enough relationship in the moment, right, in that time for him to even take that advice in that season. And so he suggested that his son go to business and major, or go to college, major in business. He suggested because of his aptitude and the way he was, not because of his interest at the time, that he would then go pursue law school. And then he went and did that and he became a successful lawyer. It doesn't mean that you should do all those things, but the reality is until your kids know what they want to do, if you have a good enough relationship, maybe they'll take your counsel, maybe they'll take your advice, and you can push them in a direction. Because my responsibility as his father isn't to decide what he does with his life. My responsibility is to put my weight behind what he decides to do with his life. Because it's his life. Because honestly, I had the fortune, that's the way my, my parents parented me. Heard my dad say a thousand times, like, I just, expect, I, don't, I just expect you to do your best. Just to do your best. Did I do my best all the time? <laughs> no, absolutely not. But I try now because of that. Love is patient. It's patient. It's not pushy. It doesn't exasperate. Love doesn't drive a wedge. Love doesn't allow ego reputation to dictate the tone or the pace of the relationship. Love picks up on someone else's natural pace and rhythm and adjusts their pace and rhythm accordingly. And love, because of patience, maintains influence along the way. Love is patient. So as we close today, just a couple of questions for us to think about. Whether you're a parent now or you might be someday. Just think about these questions. Who feels rushed by you? Who feels unnecessary, maybe unhealthy pressure when you walk into the room? Who are you driving away in your effort to bring out their best? What would it look like? What would it require to adjust your pace to theirs? I know for a lot of us, it's scary to ask those questions. But let me tell you what you should fear more. Losing a relationship with your kid now or later. So what would it take? What would it take? What would it look like to adjust your pace to theirs? That's what love, that's what the Jesus brand of love requires of us. Requires us to tame our pride requires us to protect our children rather than always to protect our reputations. And then there's this, if you live long enough, you're going to slow down. You're going to need those around you to adjust their pace to your new pace. It will require patience from those that love you the most and that you hope love you the most. So I hope that I raise patient children. Children who've seen what it looks like to adjust their pace to the pace of those that they love. As we close, let's just uh, bow our heads, close our eyes, nobody looking around. Just take a moment. If your life's like mine, it's kind of crazy, but there's these kind of times. Or you just take a moment and just have a moment of silence between you and God. And maybe you're here today and you would say, Zach, you know what, I came here today or I'm watching online right now and I want to be a better parent. I want to be a better follower of Jesus. So maybe some of you are thinking today, I actually don't even know if I have a relationship with Jesus. 
I wanna encourage you that that's the first step. It says in God's word in Romans 5, it says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What that means is that God knows all the junk, all the sin, all the mistakes in my life and in yours. And in spite of all of that, he loves you unconditionally. And he takes it one step further. He wants a relationship with you through his son, Jesus. And so if you're here today with every head bowed, every eye closed, and you say, man, that's me. It's like, I wanna ask Christ to come into my life. I'm tired of living for myself. I wanna start living for Jesus. If that's you with no one looking around, just lift your hand up right now and say, Zach, I wanna pray that prayer. I wanna do that. Yeah, I see your hand up front. That's awesome. I see your hand there as well. Anybody else that would say, that's me. That's me. Awesome. I see your hand back there. I see your hand back there as well. That's great. Anybody else that would say, that's me. Very cool. Well, I'm gonna say a prayer and you can say something like this in your own heart, just you talking to God. Just say something like this. Say, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sin separates me from you. But today, God, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to save me. I ask you to change me. I'm tired of living for me. I wanna start living for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you guys just make, uh, give it up for those that made the decision today? There were a lot of people in the room that raised their hand and I just wanna encourage you guys today. If you made that decision, go to Lexi.info. You can click on I Prayed. Or if you're here in person, you have a card in the back uh, of your seat, it just says, life is complicated. We know a guy, it's Jesus. I wanna encourage you to fill that out. You can take that card. We have, a, we have a gift for you, a free gift for you in the Welcome Center right out there. It's called The Decision. It's gonna walk you through some next steps you can take in your new faith journey. And we're really, really, really excited about that. And so guys, thank you so much. If you have questions about uh, anything at all, we'll be around here. Amanda's gonna come up and close this now. Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church/give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.